0: Well, in war times and years gone by, an army would raise a white flag to indicate their surrender. And usually it would mean they'd come under the rule of another power, which may not have been very easy. Well, in recent times, I've found the Lord stirring and challenging me and saying, Tark, I want you to raise a white flag and come to a place of greater surrender to me. You know, the interesting thing I find when God speaks like that is that somehow it always feels good. You know, it's like He beats, you, it hits you over the head and you think, oh, this is cool. Like, how does he do that? I don't know. But, you know, the devil beats you over the head and you feel bad. It's condemnation. But when God speaks, even though it's a hard thing, it always kind of think, whoo, this is awesome, God. This is going to get me somewhere. So it was a little bit like that. And, you know, most of us admire people who have this real deep commitment to the Lord. They just seem to be sold out to God all the time and we watch them and look them off in their missionaries or, or you know people that we read about in books, maybe some people in church and you think, wow man I'd love to have their kind of commitment and zeal for God and they seem to be able to raise the right flag and just keep it up all the time. I don't know what you're like but I, my, my style is I raise a white flag and then I bring it down again and then I raise it again and Then I pull it down again, and it sort of goes up and down, but God's been challenging me, hey, Tark, it's time for a, a deeper commitment. Now, I've been saying for a while now that the fruit that can happen in our lives and in our church depends on the soil, a bit like your garden. The soil will determine the fruit, and God's been wanting to change the soil of our hearts and the soil of the church so we can be more fruitful than ever before, and I think one of the areas God's, you know, we've talked about humility, but I think another area God's looking at now is the area of surrender so he can bring us to a greater fruitfulness, So let's go to Romans 12, verse 1, for our first scripture today. And we read there, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. So this is like a reasonable request from God. And when we talk about surrender, we usually think of a criminal holding up his hands and surrendering to the police. Or we may think of someone yielding in a conflict, or there may be a fight going on and someone acknowledges defeat. When I was younger, there were four boys in my family, and we would have regular fights. Is there any of you here also had fights growing up? No one? Okay, so I'm the only, wow. Wow, you godly people. You were saved before you were born. Eh? No fight. Well, even in the city church, there was a few there, they had fights, so I, I like the city church. They're more like me, carnal. Okay, but you lot, holy, Righteous. No fights growing up. That is astounding. I'll put that on Facebook. All right. So, anyway, I'd fight with my brothers. What I'd love to do is I'd like to get them on their back, right? Hold their hands down and put my knees on their muscles because that was really awful. And then I'd say, Do you surrender? Do you give up? Of course, they always gave up and just won all the fights growing up. And, you know, it's got a bit boring after a while. It's not a white flag, that's a white lie. All right. <laughs> I didn't always win. But if you think about all these examples I've given you, surrender always means defeat. Is that right? But I want to talk about a surrender today that doesn't lead to defeat, but leads to magnificent victories and blessing from God. You guys are awesome. I didn't get one clap in the first service. They, just, they shut down on me, honestly. They thought, surrender, forget it. We're not doing this. So, hey, you guys are good. Galatians 2.20. Let's go to our next verse. There's a very spiritual group here, I tell you. I'm astounded. Saved before you were born. Galatians 2.20. You should be up here preaching, and I should be listening. If I can find Galatians. Here we are. All right, here we go. 2.20. What does it say? It says, I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live. I no longer live. Ask the person next to you. Are you still alive? Well, you shouldn't be. You should be dead. Dead to yourself, alive to Christ. So surrender requires us putting to death the big eye. Everyone say big eye. The only big eye I, I remember was when I was at university. There was a hotel down the road, the big eye and downstairs they had a pub there. And uh, I'd just go and... Because my friends would go down there, and I'd just go down there, and as they drank, I'd just have some water. (laughs) It's another white lie. (laughs) But surrender requires putting to death the big I. So, some years ago, the New York Telephone Exchange, they decided to do a survey. They wanted to find out what word is used most in telephone conversations. And so, anyone want to guess what word was used most? Yeah, yeah, I, very good. So it was a personal program, I. I, 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 I. It was used 3,900 times in 500 telephone Conversation, nearly six times per call. People, we like ourselves. And we like to keep I as a capital. You also found that we like to look at ourselves. Well, we may not like to look at ourselves, but we do look at ourselves, all right? I May mean, look and think, oh, scary man! Don't like what I see. But if you go to a lobby in a big building, you're often going to find that there are the walls are filled with mirrors. Did you know that? Now, that's not by chance. They have discovered that people complain less about waiting, especially for elevators, if they're occupied looking at themselves. <laughs> that's smart out there, aren't they? We, we like to look at ourselves. See, it's I. <laughs> now, if you want to start a conversation with someone, you're not a very good conversationist. Here's the key. You want to get people talking? Ask them something about themselves. And then pray after an hour you get a chance to get away, all right? People will go. <laughs> ask them about... We love to talk about ourselves. Now, here's a challenge I want to get to. The society we lives in live in from every angle... It wants us to focus on self. Because I think the devil who rules this world, he knows as soon as we don't and we surrender to God, we're going to come under his blessing and open heaven. So he's got to stop that. He's got to say, there's no way I can let these people die to self and surrender to God. So he's put all these strategies in place. So let me give you some quotes. Socrates said, know yourself. The psychiatrist says, express yourself. Many counselors say, love yourself. Hedonist says, enjoy yourself. The waiter says, indulge yourself. Come on, have another piece of cake. Pay for it too, by the way. The personnel manager says, assert yourself. Leisure time industries will tell you, pamper yourself. Only Jesus says, deny yourself. Tell the person next to you, deny yourself. Mmm, mmm, yeah. It's very challenging, isn't it? Deny yourself. We, it, you know, it's, it's totally 100% culture. It's opposite to what the world screams at you 24-7. Back to Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Want to be a disciple of Jesus? You've got to deny yourself. And that's really hard to do because I has to die. So why would you raise a white flag to God? Why surrender? Well, firstly, it's a pathway to life and blessing. I've often said that Christianity and life's life works in opposites. Let me give you four fantastic white flag words, all right? You can clap and shout if you want to, but no one's managed you so far. Some great white flag words. Lose. Everyone say, lose. Mm, See, there's a big response there. Sow. Die. Give. Aren't they wonderful words? We hate them. What's the result of those words? If you ever do them, you're going to find. You're going to reap. You're going to live. You're going to receive. Opposites, friends. Dying to self unleashes God's blessing. Matthew 16, 25, Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Sow bountifully, reap bountifully. Luke 6, 38, Given it shall be given unto. All of those are surrender. Can you see how all the blessing comes after surrender? When you yield, when you give, then you find, then you reap, then you live, then you receive. So, why would you surrender to God? Just think about it. Think about, shall I surrender to God or shall I not? Mm. Big question. Let me put it another way. I want to ask you a question. How many of you reckon, you've got to raise your hand, please, or not raise it. How many of you reckon that God could do a better job of your life than you can? Hmm. So then, why don't we surrender? Why do we just hold on and hold on and hold on? You look at our world, they've basically said, no, no, I don't need God to run my life. I can run it myself. It is a total, utter, complete and absolute mess out there. People are on drugs. Their relationships are smashed. They're on booze. They're depressed. They're discouraged. They're, you know, there's war. There's conflict. This is the world that says, no, no, we can do a better job of running our lives so we will not surrender to God. See, in my life, this is a way it's worked, that I've found, to the extent that I've surrendered my life, and I've got a long way to go, believe me. You know, so, there's just so much more to surrender. But to the extent I have surrendered, in, in many of those areas, God has, has, has done exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I ask or think or even imagine. For example, in areas of my family, in areas of, of serving God, the area of friends and finances and peace and joy. God, God's just a, so way beyond. I mean, I, I just can't begin to imagine what my life would be like if I had not surrendered and continued to surrender to God. Friends, it leads to His blessing. It leads to his abundance. It leads to his... Now, I'm not saying for a minute it means that everything's going to go well for you and you're going to have no problems, trials and heartaches and heartbreaks. No, no, friends, you're living in this broken world, there's going to be trouble. Man is born unto trouble as sparks fly upward. Job tells us. So you can't avoid that, but hey, in the midst of it, God can bless you. Surrender to God is the wisest thing anyone could ever do. The more you surrender, the better it's going to get. Secondly, you're going to avoid crashing. Matthew 16, 25, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. So it's nighttime, it's captains in a ship. At the distance, he sees this light. So he sends a message immediately alter your course 10 degrees south. Prompt return comes back, alter your course 10 degrees north. Captain's angry, sends another message and says, alter your course 10 degrees south, I am the captain. Return message. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman third class Jones. Captain's really mad now. Sends another man. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Thought that'll do it. Reply. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. (laughs) I wonder if there's area in your life right now where God is saying, alter your course 10 degrees north. North is basically where God resides. There's an area of your life where God has been curious you, challenging you, convicting you for some time, maybe in relationship, maybe in your finances, maybe in your devotional life, maybe in your family, maybe in a work situation. God, you know, and he's saying, listen, my son and my daughter, alter your course 10 degrees north. Because if you don't, you're going to crash. We need to heed the promptings of the Holy Spirit, which are often like a whisper and a gentle breeze. You can easily ignore it, but your conscience picks it up. And as you alter your course, you're going to avoid crashing, because altering course is really surrendering and submitting afresh to the Lordship of Jesus in your life. Number three, surrender is also the key to knowing God's will for your life. You know, most people are desperate to know God's will. I just, probably one of the things that you hear more than anything is, oh, I just want to know God's will. God's? what's your plan? What do you want me to do? Let's go to Romans 12, verse two. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. All of us want to know the good. You know, it gets better. It's a good will. Then it's the acceptable will. And then it's a perfect will. There's three degrees of knowing God's will, by the way. But knowing that depends on verse 1. So you've got to present your body a living sacrifice. And then God is able to reveal his will to you. That's why many Christians never really discover the will of God. Because you've got to be able to say to God, God, any time, any place, anywhere, I am yours, wholly surrendered to you. Give me instructions, and I will obey. That's what full surrender means. When you do that, it opens the door for God to speak clearly to your heart what His will and plan and purposes. Because think about this. If if God told you his will and you weren't surrendered, then you'd probably say, no, sorry, oh God, I'm not going to do that. And then you're going to feel really bad because all your life you're going to know that you never did the will of God. You knew what it was, but you weren't... So God, in His mercy, He just sometimes just doesn't tell us. But that's the key, is surrendering your life, and God will begin to show you His will. And then when you're walking in His perfect and acceptable will, guess what? You're going to find life more exciting, fulfilling, satisfying, and enjoyable. Why? Because you've now discovered the reason you were born. Do you know there's a reason why you're on the planet? A very specific reason why you have breath today? And only God knows what that is. And he can, he can uh, as you understand what it is, it just will bring a, a real, it will change your life into a greater sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. I've said to you before, the meaning of disappointment, do you know what it is? Apart from your appointment. So you're apart from what God has actually appointed your life for. And when you're apart from it, you're just going to be disappointed. Why are we apart from it? Sometimes, I'm not saying always, sometimes the surrender we haven't fulfilled verse 2, uh, verse, uh, verse 1 to receive verse 2. And I want to encourage you today, as graciously as so I can, to regularly build altars of sacrifice and surrender to the Lord. On a regular basis, not just occasionally. You know, get on your knees, get on your face, just say, God, I just surrender everything to you. Do you know why we need to do it regularly? <laughs> because. In the Old Testament, in the days of those sacrifices, they'd kill the animal, then put it on the altar, the fire would fall. They were dead. But today, we are living sacrifices, which means that we can actually get on the altar and then crawl off the altar. So sometimes people in a church service will come to the altar, they'll make a surrender of their life to Jesus or a fresh consecration, but by the time they get to the car, they've crawled off the altar. The challenge is to stay surrendered on the altar of God for our lives. You know, we need to give God the steering wheel. So he's driving the car and we're in for the ride. But what a lot of people do, they've got the steering wheel and say, Jesus, will you come along for the ride and we'll go where I want to go and wherever I go, will you bless me when I'm there? And Jesus said, don't work that way. (laughs) got to give me the steering wheel of your life. The fourth thing that's going to happen is you're going to get personal revival. And this is fantastic. Let's go to 2 Chronicles 7, verse 1. You know, sometimes you wonder why some people are so revived, so on fire, so full of God's power and presence. Do you know why that is? 2 Chronicles 7, verse 1, it says, when Solomon had finished praying, this is uh, dedicating the temple. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. So what happens here, friends? a very clear picture. You know, you are a temple of God, right? So when the temple is dedicated to God, surrendered, sacrifices are on the altar, that's when the Fire of God comes down, and your life is filled with more of God's glory and presence. And so, to me, the altar of God of surrender is an absolute key to more of His fire, more of His glory filling our hearts and filling our lives. Just last week, we've been fasting for three days. Well, Matthew 6 says, When you fast, your Father in heaven sees in private, will reward you openly. It says when you fast, not if, it says when. So all Christians are expected to fast unless there's medical reasons not to do. But fasting is surrender, it's an act of surrender. Because in in fasting, you have to surrender your appetite to God. How many of you like surrendering your appetite? Yeah, it's not easy. You have to surrender your desire for food. You have to surrender the pleasure of eating to God. And that is not easy to... Some of you just love eating. I love eating. I love to eat, eat, eat. But listen, fasting for me is infinitely harder than for any of you. Because I have to go without the finest food in the world. I've got to go out without lamb curry and chicken curry and Rogan Josh and all the rest of it. You know, you guys, you have to go without what? Bangers and mashed potatoes. Hey, it's not that as easy. I really have to surrender when I fast. So, hey, if I can do it, you should all do it. And that's the truth. Man, a week without chicken curry, I I barely make it. Over the years, I've discovered this, that prayer and fasting has been one of the great keys to God's fire and His glory and presence in my life. And I get so mad with fasting because it just works. I wish it didn't. Even this last three-day fast, God's apprehended me in four areas, and there's come a sense of personal revival, and I just think, oh! oh, why does this have to work so well? Because I know next time I need God to do something, he's just saying, Tuck, you know the way. It's up to you. Prayer and fasting will get the job done. It's just so powerful, friends. But it really is surrender to God. So what are we to surrender? Tell the person next to you everything. Boy, that was loud. Can try that again? Everything. Yeah. Yeah, present your body as a living sacrifice. You surrender everything to God. Okay, so the first one is, is you surrender your heart to the Lord. In other words, you put God first in your relationships, your passions, your desires, your personal aspirations. You put God first. Do you know in life, there's some things we just want to do. There's places we want to go. There's goals we want to accomplish. That's great. Have those aspirations, but surrender them first to the Lord. And see if He gives you the tick and says, okay, do it. Some people have a bucket list. In about 30 years' time, I'll probably put one together myself. Have a bucket list. That's great. Have a bucket list. But submit it and surrender it to the Lord. Whatever area, whatever aspirations you have. You might have an aspiration. You say, man, I want to go and have an OE in in, uh, Europe and Paris and uh, Vienna. And that's great. Submit it to the Lord because He might want you to have your OE as a missions trip to the Congo. Submit it to God. You might say, oh man, I just want to take a a trip and I want to check out New York City. Great. Submit it to God because He may want you to go to Karachi in Pakistan. That's what He did to me. God, do it to them. Why should I be the only one? Can you see what I'm saying? Submit it. Your plans, your aspirations, we just think, oh, I've got every right, I want to do this, that, and the other. No, 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 you have not got every right. (laughs) God's got every right in your life to do what He wants you to do. We need to surrender to the Lord. Here's another one. It's going to get worse, by the way. Ashes, please lock the doors. (laughs) The next one is priorities. Hmm. Surrender our priorities to God. Find out what his priorities are. You might say, oh, that's pretty easy. <laughs> really? So, this one got a real, real big response in the first service, yeah. So, you guard against watching the all-blacks ahead of having spent time with God that day. Hmm. No response whatsoever. It's priorities. Who reckons God's more important than the all-blacks? Really? Someone's trying to clap. <laughs> what about um, reading a magazine ahead of reading the Bible? You know, Woman's Day. What are these? Some, come and tell me another one. New idea. Now you won't tell me, yeah, hey, because then I'll know that you read them. New idea. I've heard of new idea. It's out there somewhere. They don't have any new ideas and new idea. (laughs) They're all old ideas. What about putting work ahead of getting to church? Now, sure, if you're on a shift and there's no option, I can understand that. Priorities. Here's the next one. Your gifts and abilities, they need to be surrendered to God. This is really important. Do you know why? God has given you all amazing gifts, incredible gifts, things that you can do exceptionally well. I want to ask you the question, are they surrendered to the advance of the kingdom of God? Are they surrendered in the way God wants them surrendered? surrender? Are you using them for the glory of God? Because your gifts are a trust. And God trusts you to develop those gifts and to use them for His glory. Because the day is coming, you're going to stand before God, and He's going to say, now I gave you this gift, this gift, and this gift. Now tell me what you did with the gifts I gave you. And you'll be judged according to how well you use the gifts, develop them, and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Our gifts need to be surrendered to Jesus. Don't treat them as if you own them. That's it's my gift. I'll do what I like with it. No, it's not your gift. It's God's gift given to you. Use it for His glory. Whatever you do, don't bury it. Imagine dying with your gift, never developed, never used. That would be a great, great tragedy. Don't do it. And then there's finances. Hmm. You knew I'd get to that, didn't you? Some say that the last white flag Christians raise, the last area to come under the lordship of Jesus is the pocket. This wallet. Your finances. Under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Which means, Jesus, this is yours including all the credit cards. Five dollars I've got here. (laughs) There we go. Jesus, this belongs to you. I put it on the altar. Anything you want out of here, God, take it. It's yours. Would you believe this? Can I give you some statistics? You ready for some stats? Who's ready to be shocked? let me tell you. They say that 40% of Christians never give to church. 40%. Do you know how many tithe actually do do the 10%? 27%. Means that offering we had, if everyone did their part, we would have got 50,000, not 12. Churches' incomes would quadruple. The advance of the kingdom would expand rapidly. The last area to come into the Lordship of Christ is the wallet. You know, it's not by surprise that there's one area God connects to an open heaven over your life. Do you know what area it is? Finances. He said, if you give to me what's my due, you're tight, he said, I'll open the windows of heaven over you. It's about the only thing, one of the only things he says will cause an open heaven. And I reckon the devil knows that. So he has worked overtime. He's got to stop Christians paying their dues to God, because if he can do that, he blocks heaven over their lives. John Wesley put it this way. He said, it's not how much of my money will I give to God, but how much of God's money will I keep to myself? Isn't that interesting? So it's all God's. He could have asked for 20% or 30%. He could have asked for 50 In fact, he could have asked for the whole lot, but he didn't. He just asked for 10%, and he trusts you to give it to him. Not like the Inland Revenue Department. They say, no, 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 we will take your 20%, 30% first, and uh, you can have the rest. So they take it off your pay before you see it. Don't you wish the IRD would trust us? Come on, Inland Revenue, you can trust us. We would pay our tithes. We would pay our our, our taxes. We would even give you a bit more if you would trust us. IRD says, no way. Not trusting you. God's different. He trusts us. Isn't he awesome? Let's not let him down. Then our time. Surrender our time. Give God your best time, your best energies, not the leftovers when you're falling asleep. Then the last one is surrender your will to the Lord. You know, there's one area in which you are, in a sense, stronger than God. Do you know that? That's in your will. God has all power to make you do anything he wants you to do. He could, he, could, he could make you serve. He could make you surrender. He could make you give. He can do all that, but he doesn't. He refuses to force you to live right. He refuses to force you to surrender to him. In fact, your will is so strong, you could live as if God never existed. You could, and he won't do anything about it. Your will is that strong, and we've all been given a free will. But God's calling us today to surrender our will to him, but it's entirely our will choice. God will never force this issue in any of our lives. The greatest wisdom in the world for any person is to become a white flag Christian and surrender completely to Jesus Christ. Why? It will lead to the greatest results, the most satisfying life, victory, and the highest eternal rewards. It's time to raise a white flag to Jesus. Amen? Amen?